0: Father God, your love for us hasn't even been tapped enough for us to to realize it. It is beyond our understanding, so we need to understand it in the Spirit. You stay awake all night thinking of us and smile every time we come to your mind. You have a picture of us in your wallet. You like to show us off to the angels. You get all giggly when you think of us. You're not mad at us. You're mad at the one that is distracting us. We're not even giving him any attention. Daddy, we have submitted to you. So we can say to the devil, flee, be gone. And, devil, we rebuke you off of our thoughts, off of our hurt hearts, off of the attacks that we have suffered this week mentally and emotionally and physically. We cover those in our family that are struggling with this virus. This virus, you must die in them in the name of Jesus. And I speak rest and health and restoration Daddy, you are a good, good example for us. And we want to be that example to the world. To our spouses, to our children, to our workers, to everyone. You are such a great, perfect, wonderful, merciful, loving Father. You are so good. You wrap us up in your arms You hold us tight when it's scary outside. And you say, it's okay. I'm right here. It's okay. I've got you. You're such a good dad. You're the lover of my soul. You fell in love with me before I was conceived. We focus and we magnify you. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place tonight. Baptize us again right now. Baptize this whole room right now. Baptize everyone that listens to our voices with your Holy Spirit in fire. We are your partners, our privileged partners, our princes and princesses in your kingdom. We love you. You are worth it. Because you made us worth it. And we're worth it. I set peace on our hearts. I assign peace in this place. Peace in the name of Jesus to this storm in our hearts. Peace. Peace. We magnify you, Father, in your precious name. Claire and I are going to be talking uh, together through this whole eight-week seminar. We're going to be going through the holidays and into the new year. The Lord gave us this together. We're going to be speaking together. So we're going to be sharing the microphone. If you have questions, please write them down. And uh, we're happy to ask questions like when it starts, say 7.15 for... Lonnie, for seven, it's for the rest of us, but uh, no, man, I love you. <laughs> I wouldn't do that in case I loved you. Um, so we're going to be sharing together, and Claire's going to uh, start out here. Um, does everybody have a handout? Okay. So we're going to start out with Revelation.
1: All right. Well, first of all, I'm going to start out with how this came about. Um, You guys pretty much all know our kids, and even when they were a lot younger, um, they were just serving or loving people wherever they were, going up and giving somebody a genuine hug, and people would say, oh my gosh, your kids are just so awesome. What are you doing? How How do you put that in them? And James and I would kind of look at each other and go, well, we work hard at it, but how do you just answer that question? I mean... It's not a five-minute discussion about how you pour so much into your kids. And so they said, well, you should write a book. And neither one of us had any desire at all to write a book. But it kept coming up, and it kept coming up. And so one day we kind of looked at each other and said, I think it's time to write a book because it keeps coming up and it won't go away. And God is kind of saying, it's time to do this. So we did, and I think one of the key foundations that we wanted to get across that everything is kind of built on is this idea of the revelation and needing wisdom. Uh, Neither James nor I was raised the way we have raised our kids, and so everything has come from the Holy Spirit. I mean, there are bits and pieces, of course, of our parents and the great things that they did in us. But a lot of it was just revelation of the Holy Spirit. I was an only child. I was a latchkey kid. No siblings. My parents weren't around a whole lot. I had a babysitter. Um, I raised myself a lot. Um, Just took care of things. My parents raised me to be independent. And so it's one of those things when I was a parent of little kids that were siblings that were close together I had no experience with what that should look like, what it does look like and I heard all kinds of things from the world about what it should look like and what it does look like and you can't do anything about it Um, but I didn't really like what they were saying and I didn't really want my family to look like what they were saying normal siblings looked like So I started asking God, well, how can we not make it look like what the world says it should look like? And so we just started asking as everything came up, just, Lord, I don't know. What do we do here? What should it look like? What do you want this to look like? And so we based everything on our parenting on James 1, 5 through 6. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who forgives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask in faith with no doubting. And so we decided to do that and start our journey and just ask God when we didn't know. We asked him, what do you want it to look like? What should we do here? So we started building a house um, but I'm going to let James talk a little bit more about that revelation. So.
0: Like Claire said, we received pretty much all of this through the Holy Spirit and through revelation. Uh, David Gallagher and I have been talking a long time about this this idea of revelation. And something that is revealed is already there; we just haven't seen it yet. Or there's a say a curtain, or it's I, I say it's like under a box. Okay, these hidden truths that are already there, they just need to be revealed or put a light on it. Um, You're not going to get any of this unless you get a revelation from the Holy Spirit. Um, I appreciate you all showing up, but most of you guys are very faithful showing up on Wednesday nights. But you haven't driven across the country to see this wonderful seminar, especially you guys way in the back and in the balcony Um, But if you guys really want this for not only your family, your kids, but like the poster says, it's parenting the disciple. If your kids are already grown or maybe you don't have kids yet, we're all called to make disciples. And we found the parallel through parenting and discipleship. There are truths that go with both, okay? If your kids are about to... Leave the house, or if you're just starting your family, you can still be a disciple. Now, raise of hands who's a disciple in this room? Everybody. Good. Thank you, Dwight. Bringing up the rear. Everybody is called to be a disciple, and we know that. But we're going to start every, uh, every chapter of this seminar with asking God for revelation. Not me. You guys are going to be asking God for revelation, okay? Uh, There's two things that I have found. When, When I get revelation, I have done two things. I have been a seeker or I have been pursuing these hidden truths. When our kids are freaking out, I would go to the Lord and pursue his truth. So you need to be a seeker of revelation. And then number two, you need to ask specifically, God, what is your truth in this? I'm discipling this person. I don't know what to do. My child is acting this way. What is your wisdom in this? We're going to take just 20 seconds, and you privately ask the Lord for revelation tonight, specifically for your heart, for our first part, which is called covenant love. I'm going to take a quick break. So, Father, we thank you. We are all seekers here of your revelation on what covenant love means. And we specifically ask, give us something new in our hearts tonight about covenant love. Claire's going to talk a little bit more about this building of our house. Okay? It is uh, in our book. It looks like a pantheon, but I'll let her explain it.
1: Now, I'm not going to go very in-depth on these because over the course of the next few weeks, we will go much more in-depth onto each part here. Um, But basically, we look at our family or our relationships and discipleship as building a house. And we have certain roles and responsibilities in building that house. Um, And the first one, the foundation, is covenant love. If you don't love someone the way God loves them, the way Jesus loves them, you will not be able to disciple them in his uh, wisdom, in his love. So the most important thing is going to be the covenant love. That's what we're going to cover tonight, uh, mostly. So that's the foundation. The other thing is, if you have authority, um, When you have children, you kind of automatically have authority over them because you're their parent. But if you are discipling an adult, it would be somebody who has kind of given you the authority to speak into their lives, where you have earned that place to speak into their lives. And there are certain responsibilities when you have that authority in someone's life. Expectations. Uh, Clearly communicating expectations to that person. Here's what's right. Here's what it should look like. Um, communication. Again, clearly letting them know what's going on. And all of these things are at the three levels of their spirit, their soul, and their body. Okay? When you have authority over their spirit. Okay? As a parent, if they have given you authority to speak into their lives, as if it's an adult... Then they have given you authority in the spirit, and you need to take that authority and take that responsibility. Um, the communications in the spirit, the soul, the body. Um, you know, what should everything look like in the spirit? What are the truths in the spirit? Communicating that. What should their body, what should they do for healthy habits in just general life? Okay. Their emotions. You know, are their emotions out of control? You can uh, take authority over that. Um, And then the next one, modeling behavior. This is really not so much a fun one because it really holds you accountable for what you're doing. And sometimes, you know, we've looked at our kids and hated what they were doing and going, oh, wait a minute, I think I modeled that for them, and that wasn't really such a good model. And we need to fix that in ourselves first and then fix it in them. Um, And then discipline. Discipline is different than punishment. Uh, You may have heard that discipling or discipline is leading somebody or teaching them the way that they should go. And so there are different methods to help them understand what they should go. And then rules versus relationship is another, uh, like we have it on there, it's the roof and it's the covering over everything. If you have the relationship with someone, whether it be your children or whether it be an adult that you're discipling, then that's the most important thing. Okay, the rules may be there, and there may be certain rules, but if the rules get in the way of your relationship, then that's going to cause everything to be unprotected, and it will not allow you to have a healthy whole house.
0: Okay, so, like she says, we're going to start with the foundation or covenant love. This is what we build all the rest of these things on. We have pillars. Or walls, we have the roof, but if you don't have a proper foundation, none of this is going to matter. Foundations. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and say, wow, you've got a wonderful foundation? No. It's, it's hidden by carpet or tile or something like that. Do you ever see these signs out in, in people's front yards? It's the foundation of the month award. No. Why? Because it's kind of assumed. But in Texas, do we have problems with foundations? Absolutely. With all this rain and dry and rain and dry, it's all over the place. And what happens when our foundation isn't right? What happens to our walls? Cracks, right? Even the roof could crack and maybe leak and whatever. Incredibly important. Foundations are ugly. They are it 's not what people come out and take a picture of they are uh, they 're not seen, but you know when it 's not working. They are necessary, but they are emotionless as well. Covenant love here is not gooey, fun, snuggly love; it is hard as a rock foundational truth. It is a decision you make that 's going to last. Your lifetime that will be hopefully transferred to the life of your child or your disciple. Foundations are necessary, but they are emotionless. All right, let's get into covenant love here. What is it? Definition of covenant love. You all remember last week, uh, Ray talked about Abraham and God in Genesis 15, where they divided the uh, animals. Uh, darkness came onto Abraham, and then God Himself, with this smoke and this furnace, walked through and created the covenant Himself. He fulfilled, He made the covenant, and He fulfilled the covenant with Abraham. A covenant is a lot different than a contract. Contract is if you do something, then I will do something. Okay, a covenant is 100% and 100%. That should be number one. Under your covenant love. What is it? Okay. 100%. And 100%. When Claire and I make a covenant. I am all in. I will do it all. Whether she does anything or not. When she's in a covenant. She will do it all. Even if I don't do anything at all. If I have a covenant with you. If we decide to build a thing. A covenant. I will do it all. Even if you don't do it. That's what god has with us he says i will come and die for you whether you receive me or not i will pay the complete price whether you flush it down the toilet i will do it all this is the kind of relationship with we we have with our kids it's not if you do this then i will do that if you're nice then i'll be nice to to you no i'm going to be nice to you with authority whether you're nice to me or not I'm going to establish the rules here with, you know, authority. But whether you want to or not, I am in covenant 100% with you. Okay? The idea of covenant is a bit foreign to Western thinkers. We're more of a contract society. The contract says, if you do something, then I will do something. Um, Number two would be contract, and then the contract... Uh, says that if you do something, then I will do something. Number three, covenant love is extremely costly. It will cost you not only money, but it will cost you time. It will cost you your way. It will cost you your pride. It will cost you your energy. When you're in it, 100%. Like Claire and I with our marriage, we're in it 100%. And many times we don't want to do the things we have committed to do. You guys know how it is. You push through that because you have covenant love. And this goes with your childrens too. Number four, you cannot give covenant love expecting covenant love in return. It is a one-way proposition. It's a complete sacrifice, a gift. And many times it's very difficult to love this way. Like a mother to a child, when a a child is first born, can the child give love? No, it's all the mother, right? What is the mother expecting in return? Nothing. This is the kind of foundation that we have set up in our house. 100%, 100%. If they completely fail, I'm still doing it all. That's what God does with us. He gave us the example. At the cross Jesus fulfilled this covenant. What what part did we have in his crucifixion? Nothing. Who crucified Jesus? Jesus did. He allowed it. Sure the Romans pounded the nails and the the Pharisees accused him, but Jesus actually crucified Jesus. He fulfilled the covenant so that we could have what? Access to the Father, right? We could have relationship. And that's why we have covenant love, for relationship. Okay, why should we operate in covenant love? Without covenant love, there is no contract love. I'm sorry, without covenant love, somebody wrote these notes really weird, so I'm going to have to get after that secretary of mine. Without covenant love, there is uh, contract love. And contract love, in contract love, someone will fail. And if someone fails, then the contract is broken, right? If you don't show up for work, you get fired, it's a contract. You can't have that in parenting or discipleship. Your disciple will fail you. Your children will fail you. They will break your heart. Yet your covenant is strong with them, saying, I will not not love you. I will always be here. Amen? I see a lot of heads gone. yep, I've been there, yep, done that. Number two, it's necessary to have a foundation that everything else rests on. You know, Ray's a builder. Ray, don't you love a great foundation when you're setting walls and not all these things like that? You have to make all these adjustments and stuff. If you put money into good rebarb and good uh, supports and, and have the right kind of concrete set at the right temperature and let it set right, it makes the rest of the building incredibly easy. The straight two by fours go down, the walls go up straight, the plumbing is all true, but you've got to put time into the ugly, unseen cold block of concrete that nobody will give you any praise for. All right? It's the hard part. This is the hard part, people. We have other hard parts too, though, don't we? This is the hard part for tonight. Just tonight. Check in next week for the next hard part. Where are we? Number three? Number two. It's necessary to have a foundation that everything rests on. Covenant, love, love. Will not fail. And will hold up the rest of your building. The rest of your discipleship. When your disciples fail. Head off and start accusing you of things. Your love for them will stand firm. Because it's been set. It's there. Amen? Amen. More head shaking. Number four. The only way relationship Will last is through covenant love. Claire and I have been married 21 and a half years. If it wasn't for covenant love, we wouldn't have made it. We would have split. Too much of the world comes at you, too much pride. Ray talks about his early marriage. Without covenant love, relationships won't last. You have to have it in discipleship and with your children. In a relationship, we seek each other's best. My best is to see this woman fulfilled in whatever she is pursuing. It's her glory that I am pursuing. Now, guess what she's doing to me. It's her best. It's her honor to see me fulfilled in whatever I'm doing, to see me glorified. That's what the Father does with us. He's glorified when we're glorified. Monica, we're like, oh, I'm glorified, so I glorify you. Back and forth, back and forth. Covenant love. The reason for this kind of relationship is intimacy. Intimacy. The reason you build a foundation. Have you guys ever been by a, um, a lot that's kind of overrun with weeds, but there's a foundation there? They ran out of money. How sad is that? It's like, I wonder what the house would have been like. Right? The reason you build a foundation is not just to leave it out there, but to start building stuff on it. And that building is intimacy. Number six, Six. the reason for intimacy is to reproduce ourselves. Wow. Somebody give me an amen on that one. To reproduce ourselves. Ourselves, why am I experiencing the love of God so that I can take that and reproduce it through a disciple? Why do I create a house for my, for the husband and the wife to come together to reproduce children? But you have to have that foundation, right? And their children, and their children, and grandchildren, and all the rest. That's why we go through all this, people. That's why the Lord, one of the reasons the Lord came is so that we can reproduce our life, our spiritual life. Question. Answer this on your own. Do you think you could do this with your children or disciples? Okay. Claire is going to talk about the covenant love in our house.
1: Um, I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was, but it's maybe been five or six years ago by now. Something like that. Um, We we did studies on love in the past and how important it is and what it looks like. But James came up with this one short phrase that really hit home to our family and it was put on a yellow sticky note on our computer that the whole family used and the yellow sticky note read love is doing all expecting nothing in return and we started talking about that and what it looks like and we started talking about it to our kids and you know 5 5 years ago or so you know Jessica was 15 Jonathan 13 or 14, Jordan, 11, you know, around those ages. And start communicating to your kid that love is doing all, expecting nothing in return. That's a little bit difficult for some young teenagers to figure out what that looks like. And so as we went about life and our daily family lives... We would insert that when appropriate. I know your brother's bothering you, but he needs you to do this. Love is doing all, expecting nothing in return. And as situations would come up, that became kind of a mantra in our house. I know it's not convenient, but your family member needs this, and love is doing all, expecting nothing in return. And we talk, talk to them about Jesus and how he did all, expecting nothing in return from us. And when he did that for us, how could we do anything less? If we want to show the love of Jesus to somebody, we have to sacrifice. And we have to do love without expecting anything in return. And covenant love says we both will do it all. When you are in a covenant love situation with somebody, we both do it all. If one fails, the other picks up the slack and accomplishes the agreement. And this is foundational to raising the kids or your disciples. When you love them, even though their life is messy, even though they're not acting how you want them to, you're there. You love them no matter what. Covenant love installs confidence. In your child or your disciple man I really messed up and they still love me hmm it's a safe place I can be real I can open up I can confide so it builds confidence in them and it's true for discipling adults letting them know that you will always be there to support them no matter what they do it's okay to tell them that the behavior is not okay but you'll still be their friend You'll still be there for them no matter what they do. And it's critical in order for them to trust you with their heart and allow you to speak into their lives. So there's a question, how can you specifically tell your kids or your disciples that you will love them forever no matter what? if you imagine a time that your commitment to love your kids unconditionally will be challenged, (laughs) then imagine yourself following through on loving them no matter what. What does that look like in your house, in your relationship with that disciple? When they mess up, how do you react?
0: Okay, some of us are wondering, well, you know, this covenant of love sounds all great and wonderful, but I don't know how to do it. I mean, I'm kind of selfish, and I'm, and I talked to somebody yesterday, and, and we were telling about this seminar, I was like, man, that'd be great to be a parent, but I'm too selfish. Wow, who of us weren't selfish when we were starting to make children, Right? God does the work in us. The Lord gave me some, a little, um, some insight here on how to start on this path of operating in this kind of love with a disciple or a child. And it's called know your place. No, know your place, boy. Shut down shut up. No, that's not what we're saying here. All right. Know your place. Covenant love won't work if you don't know your place with your agreement with the one you made the covenant with and in this our covenant has been made with the father God and in our in my thinking in in my processing of everything I have this filter with God that I am always looking to the father to see what he is doing okay um, um. In John 5.19, says the son can do nothing of himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Covenant love is love with the father and doing what he is doing so that I can love the way the father is loving. What if I loved out of my own strength? How much energy am I going to have on that? It's going to run out pretty quick, right? Especially in discipleship. You're going to run out pretty quick with regular love out of your own heart. So I look to the Father. Father, what do I do with my child? What do I do with my disciple on this? A tough situation comes up. Somebody wounds us. What do I do? Father, what are you doing? And I emulate that. got a question here that may get me kicked out of the church. We have set up a pile of rocks and stones in the back for the stoning after the church. It's $5 a rock. It's a fundraiser. But I want you to consider with me here a little bit the question about Jesus. Is he the focus of the Bible? Is he the center, most important thing of the Bible? Trick question. Don't answer trick question. How many think that Jesus is the real center part to the whole Bible? I'm, I'm saying it's not. I'm saying it's the Father. I'm saying it's a restoration back to the Father. Sir? Everything's for his glory. Everything's for our relationship. Adam blew it. What did he blow? He broke the relationship. Jesus fixed the relationship with who? The Father. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. What are the names of Jesus? He's the door. He's the way. It's like saying he's a path. Do we worship the path? What's the path to the Father? He's the Redeemer. What does that mean? I'm pulling something back together that was broken. I redeem. Pulling it back together. Is the most important part of a house the door? Let me ask you that. When you go over to somebody's house, do you just, like, stand in the doorway and visit? I mean, sometimes, you know. Yeah. right, Bill. We have home group in Bill and Judy's doorway. No. What's the door for? To let you in. What's Jesus? The door. Right? But what is it for? To get into his what? To get into his presence. Amen. John 17. Jesus is praying this to the Father. Jesus Uh, is standing before the Father, and he says, I made you manifest, or I manifested you, and I declared your word. Jesus is here to bring us back to the Father. And if we can look to the Father, that's where we find this covenant love. It's a monkey see, monkey do. I mean, it's really that simple. But we have to pull aside all of this trash that we've been thinking, that I have to do it on my own. Or some kind of religious uh, binding. My argument to you is that the most important symbol in the Bible is not the cross. Oh my God, he said that. But it's the veil that was torn from the top to the bottom in the temple. If anything, we should have in churches a veil that's ripped open. Why? Because it gives us access A cross was the key to the door. But what's the real important part is that access. Amen? Put the rocks down. So what number was that? That was at the very top there. But the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. The cross was the door. The open veil revealed the Father to us and giving us all access. Amen. I don't have relationship with my, f- with my family in the door of our house, right? I have it inside the house, in his presence, full access to the house. Say full with me, everybody. Full access. If, if you're a member of my family, you can go into every nook and cranny of my house. And that's what God wants us to do, have every nook and cranny. Amen? Amen. All right, Luke 9. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 a couple of weeks ago? Um, Pastor Ray was speaking on the feeding of the 5,000. The Lord just revealed some really cool things to me. Let me, let me uh, go over them really quickly here. It says when he got the uh, loaves and fishes, Jesus looked up and gave thanks. Now, what we just read, I don't do anything except what I see the Father do. What was he doing? Answer that. What was Jesus doing? Anybody? He was looking to see what the Father was doing. A couple of verses before that, Jesus saw the people gathering together, and he had compassion. It was Jesus' compassion. He looked to the Father and said, what do you want to do? And the Father said, hey, let's break these fish apart and feed them all and then jesus did what after that he gave thanks all right i don't think jesus looked up so that the painter could have a nice little portrait of jesus looking up and giving thanks like this right there's a port you know guy doing a picture thing there no he was setting an example for the disciples look up what's the father doing ah i see it feed all of them with these two fishes You got it, Daddy. Let's break the fishes. The disciples were doing what in this story? Do you remember? Who were they looking at? Easy. Who were the disciples looking at? Jesus. But they weren't looking at the Father. They were looking at this miracle happening right here, but they weren't looking up. Right after that, they went out into the boat, and this is when Jesus approached them on the water, remember? And he says, oh, you little faith, you have the leaven of the Pharisees, you have a hard heart. Here's my argument to us, to to us to think about. The leaven of the Pharisees is relationship through rules, where Jesus was saying The relationship is through seeing the Father. If you want a covenant love, if you want that soft heart, who wants a soft heart here? Then you look to the Father. You don't even look to this man over here. He's going to guide us and shepherd us and everything. But you look to the Father to soften your heart. If you want rules and regulations, they're all over the place. But if you want a soft heart so that you can be the discipler that you're supposed to be, so you can be the parent that you're supposed to be, when things get tough, when there's screaming in the house, when there's disaster, when there's 5,000 people to feed and you only have two fish, you look to the Father. You don't freak out. You seek out the Father. Under Luke 9, number one, the Pharisees, the 11 of the Pharisees, they hardened their heart. The leaven of the Pharisees is relationship through rules. Jesus wants us to look up, to see the Father. The leaven of the Pharisees is a mistaken identity. We hear about uh, identity theft all the time. This is where, well, it's the rules. It's time before lunch we've got to say a prayer because Jesus did. No, no. He gave thanks because he saw what the Father did. The key, if we stop at Jesus and say, Jesus is it, that's the only thing, I think we would have missed the point of him coming. He came to restore us to the Father. And he says, look to the Father for covenant love. Number seven, to please Jesus, he wants us to look up and see our identity. So that we can see what the Father is doing, knowing our identity is in the Father. To please Jesus, He wants us to follow His example and not Him. Now think about that a minute. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Okay. He says, Look to the Father. This is kind of mature thinking. Jesus had to leave the disciples so that somebody else could lead them and comfort them. Who was that that came and led them? The Father's Spirit. Am I right in that? Am I stretching it? The Father's Spirit. Jesus had to leave. So when our children... Are growing up When our disciples are growing up, it is our highest to point them to the Father. Don't be like me. Don't be like Mom. Don't even be like Pastor Ray. You look to the Father. You look to see what he's doing. Right now, our kids, they're considering different directions, different ideas. And we say, what is the Father saying to you? Now, are we still their authority in their life? Absolutely. Are they going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But we are saying, let's go to the Father. Now, what did he say to you? What is his word to you? And we're pointing, 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 pointing to the Father because one day that disciple is going to be gone and one day that child will be gone. And when they're gone, we don't want them to be calling back and say, what do I do? Because it's just earthly wisdom. Well, let's go to the Father. Let's go to the Father. Let's go to the Father. That's what He's doing. All right, quiz. Who said, I will never leave you or forsake you? Everybody? Who said it? It's a trick question. Who said it in Deuteronomy 31 6? Anybody? The Father. Did Jesus said He'll never leave us or forsake us? No. He left the disciples. So he could send the Spirit of the Father. I'm telling you, this is the key to covenant love. Because we can't do it on our own, people. We don't have the energy or the power to do it on our own. Our job as parents and as disciples is to reveal the Father to our children and our disciples. Amen. Okay. Is that it that's it for their notes we are going to wrap up here the next five minutes we're going to do this on every chapter all eight sessions here and the reason we're going to do it is because I saw the father and he said let's do this I said yes sir thank you see how I'm like Jesus okay Pull your fishes. Um, many of us have been hurt by people in authority that did not exercise covenant love. They left us, maybe abandoned us, embarrassed us. Many of you heard my testimony several years ago Wednesday night David gave a message about submission and we can only go so high without being submitted to authority i was out of submission to a spiritual authority for nearly 20 years because of a hurt from a spiritual leader several spiritual leaders in my life they hurt me I'm not going to be hurt again i will go to church I will be a good Christian, but as far as submitting to a a spiritual authority, I had a real hard time with that. Holy Spirit met me. David, in his wisdom, apologized for those leaders that hurt me, and I cried like a little girl. So much pinup emotion, so much pinup hurt, but I could not go any further until I forgave those in authority over me. So what we're going to do is I'd like you all to please close your eyes. And Claire is going to lead us in a prayer. And I would like you guys to get comfortable with either the Father or Jesus or maybe the Holy Spirit. And in your mind or in your spirit, I want you to go up to the one you trust, the one you're most comfortable with. And I want you to ask them, am I holding any unforgiveness for a parent for a spiritual leader and Claire's going to lead us in a prayer here
1: Okay, you can uh, just repeat after me if you are feeling led and there will be some blank spots where you'll need to fill in that person that comes to your mind that you're having to deal with these issues with, say, Father, or Holy Spirit, or Jesus, whoever you're with, please show me the hurt that I have experienced and who I may need to forgive. I choose to forgive that person. I release that hurt. And I forgive them for not holding up their end of the covenant love that should have been there. I ask that you heal that part of my life. I ask that you reveal to me your covenant love for me. Just take a moment and seek that revelation of what that looks like. I ask also that you reveal any lies that may be present in that situation. And we rebuke those lies. And I ask that you show us the truth in that situation. Lord, we thank you for your covenant love for us. We thank you that we can look to you and see what you're doing and operate in that same covenant love that you have shown us.
0: Sometimes the person you need to forgive is yourself. That you have failed... As a parent. Failed as a spiritual leader. And I'm telling you. That the father. Is there. And he won't let you down. But you need to release yourself. From this bondage. There's no feeling in it. It is an act of your will and the more you do it the more you'll believe it but if you want follow, follow me in this prayer I forgive myself for failing my children or my marriage or the people that God put under me in a spiritual leadership capacity, I forgive myself and I release myself from that condemnation and that bondage. And the lies that come with it are no longer allowed to talk to me. But I will seek out and I will hear the truth truth is that I am a good father because I look to the father and I have been forgiven because Jesus paid the price for my mistake as a leader in breaking covenant with either my kids or the people that were over me and no those hurts are gone they are like a wind blowing leaves around and they are gone and we now have truth and the truth is what the Father says you are and Lord we look up and we see you and we give thanks In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay. Next time we meet, we are going to go over authority in the body, in the soul, in the spirit. Amen. amen. Love you guys. Tune in next week when you'll hear Claire say. Good job. Thank you. Question and answer number seven. That would be under, what is your identity with the Father? To please Jesus, he wants us to look up and see our identity. Who he says we are. Any other questions? It's our identity. Our identity. Our identity. Who he says we are. Not who we think we are. Not who the world says we are. Not even who maybe my physical mom and dad say I am. But what does he say I am? Our identity. Judy? And emotionless. When we're building this covenant love, it's like building a slab of concrete. There's no emotions in covenant love. There is a decision I will love 100% whether you love me or not. There's no fun feelings in that. Any other questions? Uh, Yeah, let's see. Uh, Got change for a 20. If anybody would like any prayer or uh, agreement with anything after the message, uh, we'll be up here. Let's see. Number nine. The very last one in Deuteronomy 31. Yes, it's actually the Lord your God or it was the Father because Jesus had not been introduced to the children of Israel out in the wilderness. The Lord your God says he's not going to ever leave you or forsake you. Anything else, guys? Okay. We'll be up here for a few minutes if you want to talk or pray or whatever.